everyone. It's Mike and Matthew here at the Practicology Podcast, where we are putting biblical theology to work in our everyday lives. Matthew, are you there? And how is the weather where you are? I am here, and it is doing some serious snowing here today, which is all right. We haven't had very much. It looks very beautiful outside. Um, I'm not on the roads right now, but I will be later. So hopefully things will be well cleared, but uh, we're just enjoying winter. Good. Sounds like great weather to listen to a podcast. Maybe I could remind our listeners to subscribe to this feed on whatever app you use. You can also check us out at the Practicology Podcast website, practicologypodcast.com, and uh, connect with us on Twitter as well. Our Twitter handle is at M&M's Podcast. Matthew, what do you want to talk about today? Well, let me start by asking you a question, Mike. Have you ever been wronged? Have I ever been wrong? No, I know you've been wrong plenty of times. I can just ask Helen about that if I want to hear more. But I'm wondering if you've ever been wronged, as in, has someone done wrong to you? Have they treated you unjustly and hurt you? Yeah, in fact, just maybe two seconds ago, I feel a little bit hurt from that. <laughs> and and have you forgiven the person that wronged you? Well, uh, I'm not 100. I think I have. All right. That's a fair answer. I think that's actually the the proper answer. Uh, that's an honest answer a lot of times when we're asked about whether we've forgiven someone because forgiving is not always easy and we shouldn't pretend that it is. But today we are going to work towards a theology of forgiveness. And the questions we want to think about today and in our next episode, this is going to be a part one and part two. Those questions include, should I always be willing to forgive? How does the other person's repentance factor into forgiveness and reconciliation? Should I confront the person who has offended me? And what if I'm struggling to forgive? What if I just find it hard? Those are massive questions, Matthew. And I think one of the things about forgiveness is that there is nothing automatic or easy about it. These are huge questions and very pertinent as we try to learn how to get along with one another and live together in church fellowship. It's something we're going to have to pull out often, forgiveness. And it's also something the scriptures stress, isn't it? Absolutely. Colossians 3 is an example on my mind right now. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. When we're talking about the practice of forgiveness, I think a good way to start is by reflecting upon our own forgiveness. It is a wonderfully liberating, precious, beautiful thing to be forgiven. That's where the Christian stands with God. Praise the Lord. We have been set free. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. We are justified. We've been declared righteous. We're freed from every charge. That is tremendous kindness from a benevolent, merciful, forgiving God. Amen. Uh, Romans 4.2, Matthew, uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or person against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What a what a gift forgiveness is from our Lord. And it shows his tremendous kindness because our sin debt was so big. I'm thinking of the parable in Matthew 18, where the Lord talks about the one servant who is owed 100 denarii from a fellow servant. 
but he himself was just forgiven 10,000 talents, a massive debt. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic parable. It's challenging. I mean, I, I think the 100 denarii is worth roughly, we might say, fifteen to $20,000 in today's currency. That's not a small sum, but the 10,000 talents, I think, is worth about $9 billion, billion with a B. So on the one side, we're talking fifteen to 20,000. And on the other side, the debt is like $9 billion. So think about what the Lord's teaching. To properly apply that, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the servant who was first forgiven the $9 billion. When others offend me or when they sin against me, and I think they've committed a whopping $20,000 sin, and it seems like such a grievous action, like the unpardonable sin, I need to stop and remember and reflect on what the Lord has forgiven me, how he's forgiven me so much more and he still does forgive me. If I've received such abundant mercy from the Lord, shouldn't I know how to show it to others? If I've been forgiven, shouldn't I be ready to forgive? My hesitancy to forgive then, if it if it's there, when it's there, that probably stems at times from my forgetfulness of how much I've been forgiven. And that's why an unforgiving spirit upsets the Lord so much. It grieves him because it reveals a a failure to reflect upon the massive forgiveness that I've received myself. It's like I'm overlooking it. It's like I've taken God's grace for granted. So back to Colossians 3, in light of the fact that the Lord has forgiven us, we have a responsibility to forgive others. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. My willingness to forgive should go along with my being forgiven. There are other scriptures, other circumstances to take into account, I know, uh, and it's not always easy. I'm not pretending that in any way, and I know I'm tested on these things too. And there's grace for us in our struggles to forgive. But it is a Christian responsibility to forgive others. Matthew, what you're saying reminds me of a book I read on forgiveness called Unpacking Forgiveness by Chris Braun. He uh, makes a helpful point in there, a quote. He says, quacking doesn't make you a duck, but ducks do quack. Forgiving does not make you a Christian, but Christians do forgive. We are called to forgive. Forgiven people forgive others. And I know you're going to talk more to us about the grace that is available to us when we struggle to forgive. But I think it's important to be clear, uh, it is a question of disobedience, isn't it? Yeah, and I appreciate, Mike, your reference there. I mean, not only are we getting theology today, but zoology as well. That's fantastic. But uh, you're right. So we we should be forgiving. Uh, hey, who's going to cast the first stone? I mean, I, I know that I've been stubborn and uh, proud and hesitant to forgive others at times too. But that's why the unforgiving spirit is going to lead to a hindrance of my own spiritual joy. It's going to hinder my own relationship with the Lord because he has told me to forgive. Uh, That's the background also, you know, it comes out in the in the prayer in Matthew chapter six, where the Lord is teaching us that our refusal to forgive others is going to impact my relationship with my Father in heaven. And if I allow these issues that may have grieved me or offended me, if I allow that to consume me, I'm going to become consumed by bitterness. 
and I can become imprisoned by my own unwillingness to forgive. This is just going to fester inside of me and eat away at me. Stephen Vance has been a help to me on this subject. Some of you have maybe heard him talk about this too. He directed me to this helpful line from Lewis Smeads. He said, uh, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Think about that. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. So forgiveness is liberating, beloved, but not just not just the freedom of receiving forgiveness, but the freedom for our spirits when we forgive others. Take time to read the story of Corey Ten Boom as an example of that and find out how that's true. We do have a responsibility to forgive. Yeah, that all sounds good so far, Matthew. Uh, challenging, but healthy and good. But what about people who aren't repentant? Yeah, that is a big question. Uh, let me try, Mike, to uh, to say some things here. Feel free to chime in, correct me, help me. Can people who don't repent experience forgiveness? Well, I would say no, not really. Yet there does still lie a responsibility in my own heart. So what I mean is if, if somebody has sinned against me, they're refusing to repent, they're not going to experience forgiveness. I've still got a responsibility in my own heart to have a right attitude towards them. How, how am I reconciling this? Well, I'm saying that while forgiveness and reconciliation will not be fully realized, I can still choose to be ready to forgive. I'm still responsible for the attitude of my own heart, not for their heart, but for my heart, so I can still possess a forgiving disposition. Yeah, and, and this parallels our relationship with the Lord, right? I can't say... I was forgiven before I repented and sought the Lord, but he was extending the offer of forgiveness to me. He was willing to forgive me. Exactly. So we are imitating the Lord in this. We're applying the principle of love your enemies, bless those that curse you. It creates what uh, what some have called what you might call a one-sided forgiveness. Um, but maybe, Mike, we should, we should clarify this a little bit. Uh, I mean... If we're saying they're not really forgiven, what we're saying, when I talk about a one-sided forgiveness, what I'm really saying is there should be a readiness on my part to forgive, a forgiving attitude of heart. Yeah, this is a, this is a, a matter of semantics, perhaps, to some degree. It's, it's a difficult issue to wrestle with. In Chris Braun's book that I mentioned earlier, he pushes back against some of the language of forgiveness that Christians have used, and and he would say, well, forgiveness actually hasn't happened until it's been received by a repentant heart. I think one of the things going on here is whether we're talking about a big thing or a small thing. Uh, am I am I to look for repentance on every little thing that someone has done that has bothered me, or should I just forgive them? What would you say? Yeah, the scripture does say that love covers a multitude of sins, and it also encourages us to show forbearance and patience. And so I think there are a lot of things that happen in our relationship with the Lord that never register that, oh, I've done this sin and I need to confess it. And yet we know the Father forgives us. And in the same way, there are smaller level things, grievances, uh, annoyances, little rude remarks or whatever. And, and very often we can just let that go and, and move on. But I do think that there are other things that threaten the relationship itself and are impossible for the person who's been sinned against just to, to forget about. And, and then forgiveness needs to take place at a more formal right, level. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. So I, I mean, I think one thing, one 
example or one uh, circumstance and what Colossians 3 is going to look like is just on those little things that you mentioned that cause friction between Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, we know they're not massive issues, but there is still some friction sometimes. Well, sometimes I just need to get over it. Sometimes I need to forgive and forget, or in the words of Colossians 3, be patient and bear with one another. We all have foibles and failures, and sometimes we just need to grow up. Sometimes it's a more legitimate beef. Uh, sometimes the other individual has really and truly hurt us, and sometimes they don't. They don't. They may not know about it, uh, or they may not care. Sometimes they may know, and there just is no apology forthcoming. What am I going to do? Well, am I going to hate them? Am I going to give them the evil eye in in meeting? Am I going to hold a grudge against them and their family to the fourth generation? So this is where the forgiving spirit can still be put into action. I can choose whether I hold on to the resentment or I abandon it and show them kindness. And showing kindness doesn't mean I'm taking a light view of their sin. It's my disposition toward the person despite their evil action. It's possible to hate their action justly and yet treat them graciously out of love. Maybe this will help bring about the repentance from them. It also doesn't mean that their sin has no consequences. So in scripture, think about the time when the prophet Nathan confronted David with his sin in 2 Samuel 12. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So consequences remained. Depending on the circumstances, consequences may be unavoidable. It's possible, I would suggest, to forgive a person and yet not fully trust them. Forgiveness then in this sense, this one-sided forgiveness is my disposition, my attitude towards them. I'm keying right now on my attitude of heart. Thomas Watson, who was a 17th century Puritan preacher, said a forgiving attitude means not wanting revenge, not wishing them evil. I pray for them. I sympathize with them in their sorrows. I desire reconciliation. And I should be willing to help them. And let me just highlight one of those again. I pray for them. It is hard to maintain a bitter spirit towards someone for whom you are praying. So let me just mention those. I think there were six things again. Not wanting revenge. This is a forgiving disposition or forgiving attitude. Not wanting revenge. I'm not wishing them evil. I'm not sitting there hoping that something bad happens to them. I pray for them. I still sympathize with him in their sorrows. I desire reconciliation. I should still be willing to help them. And as I say all these things, I'm I'm saying, Lord, give me grace. Help me to be willing to do this when challenged. Hmm. Yeah, this is a a call to to some radical action here. Matthew, you're making, obviously, a distinction between full reconciliation and and are having a forgiving attitude, correct? Yeah, the issue of our own heart is what's really on my mind right now. Reconciliation is going to be a separate step. The forgiving heart is my responsibility. Reconciliation requires the cooperation of both parties. Uh, so my my right attitude is always right. Uh, reconciliation is a possibility. But that's going to take quite a bit more time, Mike, so I think we should hold that for the next episode. What I'd like to finish with today is grace in our struggle to forgive. 
because sometimes forgiving will be difficult. You may be deeply and sincerely hurt. That's real. We are human. This is going to be hard for us. And oftentimes forgiveness is a bit of a process, isn't it? I think we talked about this at the very beginning when uh, I asked, you know, have you forgiven them? And you say, well, I, I think I have. That's, that's, that's honesty. I mean, s- people have said that sometimes forgiving is like the layers of an onion. You peel one layer, you think, you think you've forgiven them, and then you find out there's another layer still there and another layer still there. You think it's put in the past, but then sometime the anger returns. And uh, I need to take that, that sin. If there's a sin of unjustified anger, I need to take that back to the Lord. So forgiveness can be a bit of a continuum in our hearts at times. I'm, I'm comparing our forgiving others to our being forgiven by God. The problem is my heart is not as pure as God's heart. And my selfish fallen nature means I will sometimes struggle to forgive offenses against me. But the gospel is glorious. The gospel tells me there is forgiveness for me, even in my failures, in my struggles to forgive others. I found forgiveness and redemption through the blood of Christ at the cross when I first trusted him. And the work of the cross is still effective for me. Praise the Lord. First John 1, walking in the light does not mean I never sin. In fact, Christians that are walking in the light, they still need the cleansing power of the cross. So rejoice in these words of 1 John 1, 7, 8. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, including bitterness, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to change us and cleanse us and make us more pure. Then these precious words of chapter two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ, the righteous, sits at the right hand of the Father in glory. He has dealt with all of our sins, all of our failures, and we are accepted in him, the righteous one. We've been forgiven. Thank the Lord. Matthew, amen. Uh, I'm just remembering times when someone has forgiven me and the absolute joy, the freedom, the relief, the burden released off my back and so on. And, and that's just a small experience of the far greater forgiveness and joy we've received from the Father. So let, let's rejoice in that and, and allow the joy of our being forgiven to help us like our God and like our Lord Jesus, to have a forgiving heart to others and extend grace. Matthew, thanks so much. We're looking forward to hearing you again as you maybe pick up a bit more on the reconciliation side in our next episode. But in the meantime, to you, our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to be notified of future episodes like this one. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in today.